All right, everybody. Hey, Joe McCall here with Alex Youngbud, and we are back. Hey. <laughs> we are back for <laughs> for part two, and we all changed our shirts to make it look like <laughs> it's really a week later. <laughs> when in fact, it's only about an hour later. It's only about an That's hour. Right. <laughs> it's only about an it's hour later. Uh, <laughs> what's funny, guys, is uh, if you're listening to this podcast. Make sure you go to the website to watch the video, because on the last interview with Sean, I added in a little splice at the end oh, to see Lord. to see if Alex is really wearing his underwear or not. <laughs> <laughs> I, and you could see never. Anyway, we we all just oh man, we, we all I I wanted to get something in there so people could go to the website and check it out on the video. So if you're listening to this podcast. Nice. We actually have this on video, and uh, so you can go realestateinvestingmastery.com, sign up for our free bonus fast cash report, and uh, watch the video of the last episode. It's pretty funny. Um, but we wanted to pretend this was a week later, and uh, we were real sophisticated, so we changed our shirts, and Sean actually borrowed that shirt from a friend who works in the same office. And you even They're like, we need to make it look like this is a week later. I said, yeah. I'm going to look like a bum in the same shirt. You guys all changed. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I don't have any other shirts where I'm at. Right. You even changed your hat, Joe. I did. I got a white one on. But uh, it was a great interview last week, Sean. And uh, it was so good. <laughs> it was so fun talking about uh, your experience. And uh, we only just scratched the surface. Um I want to continue where we left off. You were talking about, um, you know, you were you had to come up with thirty four thousand dollars a month just to break even. You were talking about how, you know, you'd do a deal before and you make five, ten grand, and you were happy and you'd celebrate. Uh, but then you do a deal and make a hundred grand and you get upset because it only covers maybe three months of your expenses. And um, right. so a lot changed over those few years. Just recap again, what changed in you, Sean, when you were you were making real good money, and you were living high on the hog, just making five ten grand on a deal. And now all of a sudden, you make five ten grand on a deal, and that'll pay you for a couple weeks. What happened? You know, I think it can boil down to the American dream. You know, we all have this American dream, and it says that more is better, and. I mean, I, I believed that for a long time, but I don't know that more is better. I'll give you a quick example. Uh, I'm a guitar player. I love playing music. I've loved it since I was 13 years old. And for a long time, you know, when you're a kid and you're playing guitar, think about this for whatever it is that you like to do. But for me, you know, I look at these certain guitars that I wanted, and over the years, the more I was able to make a little bit more money, I'd get those extra guitars. And it got to the point where I had 17 guitars at my house, which... It's super cool, you know, from a guitar player's perspective. Man, I got so many guitars. Any sound I want, I can get whenever I want. But think about this for a second. Guitar strings only they only sound good for about a month or two. Yeah. So that really? means every month or two, I have to change. If I want to play any of those guitars, I have to change the strings on all seventeen guitars. So from one perspective, you think, well, more guitar sounds better, but. Not necessarily. I mean, you know how long it takes to change 17 sets of guitar strings? It takes hours and hours and hours, if not a whole day or two. Right, right. And so wow. on the one perspective, you think more is better, but maybe not. I have a, a very good friend of mine that has a, a 
probably one of the nicest, if not the nicest houses in St. Louis. Matter of fact, he said, uh, I know that my house is big because I have the 16th largest electric bill every month in the entire state of Missouri. He said, my electric bill is probably more than about five of your house payments. Holy and uh, it, this place is unbelievable. But he was sharing with me. He says, do you realize that in my house, I have somewhere in the neighborhood, I think he said the number was 260 light bulbs. He said, do you know, even if a light bulb lasts two years, he said, do you know I change a light bulb almost every day in my house? And my light bulbs wow. in my house are 40 feet up in the air. He said, you know, so at one perspective, you think more is better, but with more comes more maintenance and more responsibility, too. That's not always a bad thing, but we need to make sure that we're getting more in the areas of our life where it's really important to us, not just the areas that we think it's supposed to be important to us. Yeah. So I got more, 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 more. I got more employees. I got more deals. Um, but I also had more expenses that came with that. So I, I created a business that required more just to feed it. Yeah. And you know, it's almost like a guy who's addicted to drugs, you know, he does more drugs and then pretty soon his body needs more drugs yeah. in order just to keep it going. I know that's kind of a bad analogy, but it's kind of the same thing with our real estate businesses. So now I'm more of a keep it simple. And that doesn't mean you have to lead a completely simple, boring life. But mm -hmm. what it does mean is that you start with the end in mind. So you start with a vision of what it is that you want life to look like. And now we start to build our business to feed that life rather than the other way around. And I know that sounds simple, but man, very, very few people do that. Or I'll give you an example too. You know, most people have a business plan, especially if you're in business for yourself. Most people, if I ask them, what do you want to accomplish in your business? Or, or this year, how much money do you want to make? Almost everybody can tell me a number right off the bat. But if I ask them, what do you want your life to look like? What if, at the end of this year, what will you have wanted life to look like at the end of this year? Almost no one can answer that. Right. And the truth is we spend more time planning our business than we do our life. We spend more time planning a weekend getaway than we do what, a, what we want our life to look like. My gosh, we spend more time planning a wedding or something like that than we do planning what our lives want to look like. But if we spend just a little bit of time up front, answering those questions, everything in our business will change. I mean, how I do my marketing will change, who I decide to work with will change, which deals I decide to go after will completely change if I know what that picture looks like up front. Good. So I know that uh, that sounds a little, you know, hokey, like, okay, Sean, get to the real how-to of what it is that I would do specifically. But And I, I'll give you an example here in just a second. But the whole point is we have to go into it with the end in mind. So, for example, Very when I first point. got started in my when I first got started in my short sale business, I said, okay, I want to get as many leads coming in the door as possible. So I went out and I started this direct mail campaign. And in Missouri, when I first started this, there was somewhere in the neighborhood of about 2,200 foreclosures in the St. Louis area per month. And so I said, I want to nail every single one of those with a mailer, and I want to hit them probably three times. That means every month I send out 2,200 mailers three times. So that's roughly 6,500-ish, 6,600 pieces of mail that I send out every single month. Well, with every one of those pieces of mail, keep in mind, that's 6,600 pieces of mail. So that means somebody's got to stuff the envelopes. Somebody's got to print the stuff. Somebody has to create it, of course. 
And then what, what am I going to lead people or direct them to do once they actually answer my letter? So I did this. I, I decided because I'm a go big or go home kind of a guy mentality, you know, uh, I decided I'm going to do mail to just about all these except for the really rough areas. But there's still 2,000 or so foreclosures I'm going to mail to every month. Well, then the phone starts ringing. Well, so, uh, so first of all, I'm spending a ton of time marketing, just printing, mailing, stuffing envelopes and stuff like that. Then the phone calls start coming in. And I'm getting so many calls, I can't handle all the calls, yeah. especially because now I'm starting to go on appointments also. Now I'm starting to go meet homeowners at the house. The more homeowners I meet at the house, the more short sale packages I have to create. Mm -hmm. Those short sale packages have to be negotiated. Then if I actually get one approved, wow, now i got to go sell it. And so meanwhile, I'm doing all these other parts of the transaction and all these leads that I started doing before, I don't want to stop my marketing. I've always been told, do not stop marketing. So I'm still doing my marketing every day, but the problem is I'm not returning all the phone calls from my marketing. And now all I do is feel guilty all the time, where if the phone rings, I have a choice. I can either answer the phone and interrupt everything else I'm doing right now and talk to a seller for the next 30 minutes. Yeah. Or I cannot answer the phone, let the phone go to voicemail, and if they leave a message, then call them back later. Now it's something i got to consider doing later on. Now it's in the back of my mind that I'm wasting my money on marketing and phone calls that I'm not answering. So it ends up being this big double-edged sword, whereas going on, starting off the bat, I didn't need to send out 2,000 mailers a month. Yeah. I needed to start with something a little bit more manageable, a little more like what I could handle. So with the mailers, there was expenses there. There was now expenses on getting a phone system built and, an e and a website built. Then there's my time of being able to handle the calls. It was shortly thereafter I realized I couldn't handle all the calls. Mm -hmm. So the first person I hired was a marketing person, like I said in our last interview. And I hired that person to try to alleviate some of my responsibilities of stuffing envelopes and doing all that stuff. And that did free up a lot of my time to where I was able to take some more phone calls, try to go on more appointments, but I couldn't handle all of them that were coming in. And so the next thing you know, I'm like, well, let me handle or let me hire somebody to start answering the phone for me. Well, now that's another person I hired, okay? More hands in the pot, and now I'm, I'm basically creating sort of a bigger monster. Let me get to the how-to real quick. <laughs> if you're just getting started in the business and you want to get started with short sales, there's one super easy way to do it. And it's very simple. You don't have to mail out 2,000 mailers a month. You don't even have to have a website. You don't have to have a phone system. You don't have to have uh, 4,000 calls coming in a day. If you're on a very, very low budget and time is on your side, you have a little bit of time, rather than setting all that stuff up. And, and by the way, most people use that stuff not being set up as their excuse to take no action, which is why, like right. I said earlier, 50% of people never do anything. It's because they don't have that stuff set up. So forget all that. Here's what you need to do. Subscribe to a foreclosure list in your area. If there's not one, uh, you may have to go to a county courthouse and get one. We can talk more about that later. The point is find out who in your area is in foreclosure. All that information is public. It's different depending on where you go in the country. If you don't know how to find it in your area, just start doing a Google search or go to one of your local real estate investor clubs and start asking some people. It's as simple as that. Most places, though, you can find a foreclosure list pretty simply. Mm -hmm. That's step one. Step two, take that list. That list is almost never going to have a list of names and phone numbers attached to it. It may have names, but certainly not phone numbers. Go Again, go to Google and look up white pages reverse phone number lookup. 
-hmm. and find a site where you can enter in somebody's name and or address and it'll reverse look up a phone number for them and start calling people. It's as simple as that. I mean, I've got one of my students right now. He has more than 100 short sales on uh, in his uh, workable files right now. Wow. He's working 100 short sales. Probably 85% of them came from just making cold calls like this. Really? Wow. And by the way, these aren't like high-pressure sales cold calls. If, if cold calling scares the heck out of you, it doesn't have to be that way. He simply calls up and says one thing. He says, hey, he says, I don't mean to sound real forward. I saw there's public information that shows you're in foreclosure. My only purpose of calling you is to find out, has anyone taken the time to explain to you what your options are? Mm-hmm. Hmm. And that's not a sales call at all. Most people say, no, no one's ever taken the time. Some of them say, you know, yeah, we already have it taken care of, in which case he may ask him, well, okay, how do you have it taken care of so I can help other people with whatever you're doing? Yeah. But for the most part, he's just giving people what their options are. A short sale happens to be one of the options. If they pick that, he can help them. Excellent. If not, if they pick something else. So it doesn't have to be this big, drawn-out, huge process with hundreds of phone calls coming in all the time. And this guy is killing it. He's one of my most successful students right now, but he keeps it simple. Hmm. And as a result, his overhead is next to nothing. So any deal that he makes now – and by the way, if let's say he goes out and one week he uh, he gets 10 appointments – and he doesn't want to take any more than 10 appointments. He just doesn't do any more cold calling for another week or two. Yeah. And it's as simple as that. Yeah. Now, some people might argue, well, this isn't completely automated and this isn't, you know, this isn't building a big business. But remember, remember what I said in the last interview, this residential real estate business is not a big business type of business. It's a small mom and pop type business. So, yeah. you know, and I'm not saying you have to stick this way forever. I'm saying if you want to get started and you want to start right now today, that would be a great way to get started. It doesn't cost you hardly any money. The foreclosure list might cost you a little something. Doing a reverse pages lookup costs you nothing. And then you've got the gas to drive out to the person's house. That's it. That's good. You, you know what's interesting, interesting about that is, and, and I'm, 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 I like trying to automate um, processes and things, but and, and a, a lot of times we compare our business to McDonald's, right? What type of overhead does a McDonald's have? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Quite a bit. <laughs> you yeah. know, and again, a McDonald's is a is a duplicatable business, whereas so that's a completely different deal. You know, if if I'm looking at an assembly line at Ford, I mean Ford is building the same car over and over and over again. Naturally it makes sense for them to have an assembly line, but for us in the residential real estate realm. I mean, I'm talking to such different scales of people. If I'm talking to people, even if I'm making offers of houses on the MLS, I mean, you know, I I have some people that come to me and they say, I blanket a certain percentage for every one of my offers and, and I try to see what sticks and that's fine. Um, But sometimes just putting a little, just a little bit of thought into your offers because not every single deal is the same. Sometimes putting a little bit of thought is the difference between a super great deal and your offer getting denied because it doesn't make sense to the seller. You know, sometimes those I percentages and everything, although it looks really good on a spreadsheet, sometimes it's just better just to put a little bit of thought into it and you know, it requires a, a little bit less effort in the long run and uh ends up with more profit anyway in less time. Shauna, Alex and mine uh, favorite topic is marketing probably because this business is all about marketing and it it succeeds or fails based on that. 
Um, you also do some unique marketing to realtors, don't you? Where uh, yes. you talk a little bit about that because that doesn't cost anything. Yep. All right. So perfect example. So uh, and this is again specific to short sales. We've got students doing everything, but since I'm talking about short sales, we'll stick with that for now. So uh, so a lot of agents despise short sales, <laughs> and there's a re matter of fact. Just uh, recently, I spoke at a Keller Williams convention. There was like 500 people in the audience, and I asked the room, I said, how many of you here, show me a, a show of hands, how many of you have experience with short sales? And almost every hand out of the 500 people was up. And I said, uh, tell me, how many of you uh, actually enjoyed the process? Raise your hand. And there was like three people that stood up. Oh, look at that. You gave your little ones there. Say hi. <laughs> I said to the realtors, I said, how many uh, of you actually enjoyed the process? And I think there was like three hands up. And so I start, and I did this on purpose. When I was in front of the room, I wanted to get realtors, I wanted to, the realtors who hadn't done any yet to understand that all the other realtors don't like them. Um, truth, in fact, I wanted them to send me all the leads. And yeah. so I, I set the question up that way to prove a point that none of the agents in there enjoyed the process. Well, the reason they don't enjoy the process is because the short sales for a real estate agent is about twice the amount of work that a real that a, a normal real estate agent is used to doing. Think about this for a second. A normal real estate agent is used to going out and doing a listing presentation with a seller, perhaps, and getting that seller to list the property with them. They turn around, they market the property for sale using the MLS and a number of whatever else they use. Buyer comes in, makes an offer. This agent now helps the sellers negotiate a contract. They get it set up for closing, and they're done. Mm -hmm. Well, when you add a short sale into the mix, now that agent also has to negotiate not only with between both the homeowner, seller, and the buyer, but now the agent also has to go talk with the bank and get the bank to come down to whatever the buyer is offering, and there's just a whole a new step added into the mix, and it takes about twice as long as a traditional listing. or I should say there's about twice as much work involved. The challenge with this is a lot of times the agent will go out and they'll do all this work and they'll get the bank to agree to a short sale. But a lot of times the bank will come back and say, all right, we agree that we'll accept this discounted payoff amount. But since we're taking a loss, Mr. or Mrs. Agent, we want you to take a cut on your commissions. Yeah. So now the agent just went out there. They did double the amount of work for less commissions than they're used to normally even receiving. And they get frustrated with that. Yeah. So obviously, it's not a huge incentive for agents to really, really love and, and desire to do short sales. So I usually go into an agent, uh, and I will just present them with, okay, let me ask you a question, Mr. or Mrs. Agent. What if I were able to do all your negotiations for every short sale that you had? What if I don't charge anything for that service? What if I was willing to buy every single short sale listing that you had, and on top of that, even if the bank came in and cut your commissions in half, what if I was willing to pay them 100%, even if the bank wouldn't? Nice. Would that interest you at all? Mm -hmm. And, of course, every agent at the very least says, well, what do you mean? I want to know more. Right. You know, right. Most of them right off the bat say, okay, and where do I send these leads and what do I do now? But uh, even if they're not that engaged, and they at least want to know more. So that's sort of my in. And uh, realtors are a great place to start with that because most of them are frustrated with the process. Anybody who's done them as a realtor has probably gotten gypped on their commissions. And I'll tell you, there's nothing more frustrating 
than going and doing double the amount of work and then having the bank come back and tell you, well, we're only going to pay you 4% now instead of 6%. Yeah. And by the way, here's why. See, when, they, when a, uh, an agent takes on a listing, let's say, and there's no such thing as a, an a average listing commission, but let's just say, for the sake of saying it, that an average listing commission is 6%. Well, that means that the, the selling agent gets 3% of that, and whoever brings the buyer, the other buyer's agent, gets the other 3%. So when the bank decides to cut the commissions down to 4%, mm-hmm. that means that now the buyer's agent still gets their 3%, and the selling agent, who did all the work and all the negotiating, you're exactly right, Alex, that person gets 1%. Yeah. Their commissions went from 3 to 1% just like that. And they have to split that so with their broker. If, oh, yeah, and they got to split that with their broker, yeah. So you can imagine how angry an agent would be if they've done all this work to get a short sale approved and accepted. They finally get it done. It's a great deal for the buyer. The seller's able to walk away scot-free, and now they only get paid 1%. So if I come in here and offer to do all that work for them, and I'm willing to pay the full 3%, even if the bank doesn't allow them to get more than 1%, I'll pay them an additional 2% on my side of the HUD. They're going to love me. Now, here's the key to this, too. Mm-hmm. The minute I close one deal with one agent, one deal, they tell all their little agent friends. <laughs> and next thing you know, I have like this feeding frenzy of leads. And how much did I spend for marketing for this? Nothing. Nothing. Let me ask you this, Sean. Um, and this may be a little bit ahead, but as far as like closing, um, have you seen more regulations with people uh, A to B to C closings? Have they stepped in and kind of messed with that a little bit? Yeah, there's uh, and and for the newer people, just so that you understand what Alex is talking about. In, in the past, we've been able to put a house under contract with the person A, who's the seller. Um, we then buy it. We're person B, and then person C comes in and buys it from us, and all this happens on the same day. And uh, there's been a lot of title companies that will not insure transactions like that uh, as of recently because they feel like there's some risk there. And, uh, yeah, we've definitely seen that. Matter of fact, in St. Louis, there's, there's only a handful of title companies left that will actually insure that type of transaction. They still will do it, but they're getting fewer and further between. Um, most title companies will still allow you to buy a house and sell it on the same day, or I should say many of them, not necessarily most. Many of them will still allow you to do that, but they want the person B to bring the funds to the table. So if Absolutely. I'm buying a house, let's say, for a hundred grand today and I'm selling it for hundred and fifty, it used to be that my C buyer could bring their hundred and fifty grand to the table, the title company would give a hundred of that to person A's lender, and I would get to keep the difference of fifty grand. Anymore, title companies want me to bring that hundred grand to the table, even though it's just for the day. I bring in a hundred grand, I buy it from the seller. The new buyer comes in, brings 150. I get my 100 back plus my other 50. So that I mean, we can still do that all day long, but the true simultaneous closing is getting tougher. Okay. And you okay. do that with transactional funding, right, Sean? Yeah. Yep. Which yeah, is or easy to get your own money if you got it. <laughs> well, and transactional funding is if you got your own money, it's only tied up for the day. Yeah. Um, uh, if you've got somebody with IRA money and you could uh, turn that into a profitable joint venture with somebody with some money that you could borrow for the day, that would be ideal. Or there's things called transactional funding partners that you can get money where you just borrow the money for the day. Uh, usually, like we even offer that to our students. It's You borrow the money for one day. It's usually going to cost you somewhere around two percentage points. 
So if I'm borrowing 100 grand, it costs me two grand for the day. Um, and I get my deal done, and I figure the two grand is part of my expenses. I'm in and out. I'm finished. Now, so obviously, that's a that's a problem if I'm only selling a house for 103 grand. Hopefully, my margin is enough to be able to justify the expenses of that. Yeah. Now, Sean, come on. Can you really make money with short sales today? I know. I know. No. No, you can't. All right. So you yeah, tell day out, and there'll be more for me. You've been talking about this lately too. The last three or four months, you've seen some pretty incredible deals uh, with your students. Talk a little bit about uh, what's going on in this market right now with short sales, and, and and can you still make money doing these deals? Well, here's the deal, and I get asked this all the time. I mean, when we are relying on banks and bank regulations and how motivated a bank is to move their inventory. The market can change from time to time. So, and I'll just give you some examples. I mean, uh, here, five years ago, man, we were killing it. Simultaneous closings were allowed. We were buying and selling. We were selling stuff just as fast as we could buy it, and things were great. Uh, they were great like that for a few years. Last year, I started having a little bit of doubts about short sales because um, for about the first half of last year, it was getting much more difficult to get approvals. The banks were so flooded with foreclosures and short sales that I, I was talking to some loss mitigators, which these are the people who mitigate the loss at the banks. These are the people who we negotiate with. And I was talking with some loss mitigators who they are responsible for mitigating 300 files at a time, 300. One wow. person responsible for 300 negotiations. Wow. And so a lot of investors are like, why is it taking a bank a month to get back to me? And I'm like, because they have 300 files sitting on their desk. And we as investors have to do whatever we have to do to make sure our file is rising to the top. Otherwise, we're going to get ignored. Yeah. And so that's where uh, creating the, the correct offer becomes really important. That's where creating the rapport with the loss mitigator becomes really important. But anyway, the first half of last year, that was getting tough. Mm -hmm. And approvals were taking longer to get. Um, it seemed like the banks were not accepting as big of a discount as they were just the previous year. And so, you know, everybody's kind of going, well, should I stay in short sales or what's going on? Sure enough. Did you get a phone call? No, no, I'm, I'm sorry. My, my daughter just came in the room. <laughs> keep on talking. I lost your, uh, oh, your voice. I, I'm back. I'm sorry. My daughter just came in the room. So keep on talking. Oh, all right. Okay. Just making sure. <laughs> um, so uh, so the first half of last year, they were getting tougher, and people were still making money. But, you know, whereas my average profit per short sale was about $28,500, that was getting lower uh, the first half of last year. So just as I start to – even me as a speaker, and I'm out teaching this stuff, I was starting to think, I wonder if this is where it's at still. And then sure enough, second half of last year comes. The bank starts to loosen up their guidelines again, and next thing you know, I have more students getting six-figure profit deals on flips than I've ever seen since I started doing short sales uh, back in 2003. Nice. So, you know, I think a lot of this has to do with how motivated the banks are. Here's what I will tell you, and this is good news for investors coming up, and I don't think this is going to go away anytime soon. There is obviously an abundance of inventory right now, and that's scaring the heck out of these banks. Mm -hmm. And what that means is banks are loosening up. I'm seeing them loosen up more than ever. I'm seeing banks come back and accept first offers rather than go back and negotiate 15 times like they've done in years past. Um, I've, I'm seeing banks accept offers now 
that even though they believe the value to be significantly higher, they're starting to accept these offers that are significantly lower than they would have ever accepted before. And it's, you know, it's like anything else. There's not an exact science to this, which is why this is not a duplicatable business over and over and over again. Some degrees of it are, but that's why this business is so great. But the the thing is, I've seen more six-figure profit deals in probably the past, not three months, probably the past six or seven months than I have ever seen, ever, since I've been doing What would you say the average ARV of a uh, six-figure short sale flip is? Well, that's the crazy thing is that I don't know that there is an average. Usually when I tell people that people that some of my students are making six figures, they go, well, yeah, but we don't have million-dollar houses where I live. Let me give you an example of one that a student of mine just did recently. This is a house a homeowner owed, I believe, roughly $170,000 on this house. The student got on one of our coaching calls. We do a number of calls with our students each month. Student got on our coaching call, and she said, here's a short sale I got lined up. She said, I, uh, I followed everything Sean told me to do. I offered the bank 102000 and they accepted it right off the bat. So she got a $70,000 discount. It was pretty strong. And she said, well, once we got the approval, and this was great because she went on vacation. She got back from vacation, and the approval was sitting on her fax machine. So she was totally excited that she was, like, making money while she was on vacation. <laughs> so the approval's on the fax machine, and uh, later on she says, in the in the call she says but you know i'm having some second thoughts about this because there was an addition that was built onto this house and when they built the addition they used two by sixes as the floor joists rather than two by tens or two by twelves and so it's not real sturdy like i i checked underneath the foundation because i felt like the floor was a little bouncy and uh she goes i think that's a big deal and i said that is a huge deal and uh, I said, I want you to go back to the bank and renegotiate. I said, first of all, what do you think you can sell this house for? She said, well, it's on a lake. And she said, it's a, it's a beautiful lakefront, like five-acre property. And wow. the house is cool. It's a little bit outdated, but it's a highly desirable area. And she said, houses around here in the spring and early summer will, will go quickly. She said, my agent thinks I should list it somewhere around 130. And, of course, that was before we found out about the floor joists. So I said, go back and renegotiate with the bank. Now, I told her to go back and renegotiate. I didn't tell her to do what she did. She went crazy with it, and I commend her for it. And I'll tell you this. For those of you that are brand-new investors, the brand-new people seem to be doing better than some of the experienced Mm -hmm. because it's almost like the brand-new people aren't scared to make ridiculously low offers. The people who are experienced are like, I'm not going to offer that because they'll never take it. Whereas the new people are like, I'm going to offer it because I don't know any better, yeah. and I'm going to see what happens. She goes back to the bank, and she offers the bank. She First of all, she takes pictures and tells the bank what's going on. She goes back and offers the bank twenty two grand, and they accept it. Wow. twenty two wow. grand on this $170,000 or $180,000 mortgage. And so they, they accept the 22000 bucks. She's flipping out. She's like, I don't even know what to do. <laughs> you know. I said, well, list the thing, and let's get this thing sold. So now here's... I'm going to give you another tip on how to sell properties quick now. So most people right now are listing either at market value or a little bit high, and they're saying, well, we'll negotiate down. Well, think about this. When there's a ton of inventory available on the market right now, nobody wants to waste their time negotiating, and uh, let me just put in an offer and see if I'll get it. 
just like us investors, we want something that we know is a steal, that we know we can buy right this minute, and we're all inherently pretty lazy. So we want something that's already priced right. Yeah. So my strategy now is I said, don't price it high. Her agent was saying, price it at 139 and then over time, you know, maybe over the next six months, we'll come down to 120 maybe 125 oh, And I said, I said to her, I said, listen, first of all, we're in springtime. This is a freaking lake house, man. If yeah. you don't sell this thing in the next three months, maybe at most, you're going to sit on it all winter. Because yeah. nobody thinks about buying a lake house in the fall. Well, she's not going to be able to sit on it all winter because it's a short sale. She has to close, That's right? exactly right. That's okay. all right. right. But, well, I mean – in this case, there was such a big margin. She could, she could, if she had to, close on the deal, buy it at twenty-two grand, and sit and hold the property and let it sell whenever. But who wants to do that, right? Right. So I said, here's here's what you need to do. I said, what do you think it's realistically going to sell for? And she said, well, maybe one fifteen-ish, maybe. And I said, then take your realtor's advice, throw it out the window. That's the dumbest thing you could possibly do. Do not list it at 139. Right. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to list it at 99. I said, if you listed it at 99 grand, would there be this, this huge like feeding frenzy? What do they call those fish with teeth? Piranhas. Piranhas. Piranhas, yeah. I like to picture it like uh, you just dump a little piece of meat and then there's all these piranhas right. like, coming up and, right. and chewing off. I said, put it out there for 99 and if you do that, you'll get you'll get offers, I'm telling you. And then what you do is you just bid all those offers up, get them all to keep coming up until you get the one you want. So sure enough, she did exactly that. The first weekend, I'm, I'm trying to remember if she had five or six offers on the house, wow. the very first weekend, and they bid the property up to $122,000 from 99. So she got exa- she got more than what she thought she would get anyway. But the reason that she did is because the people got emotionally involved in the process. Nice. If she would have listed that at 139, there would not have been the excitement that there was at 99 grand. So once, and I always tell people, once your buyer is bought in, getting them to come up a little bit isn't a big deal. But getting the buy-in is what's the most important thing. So she got the buy-in. She got the husband and wife picturing their family in the lake house, (laughs) picturing this great deal. Not worried about the fact that the house needs a little bit of work because they know they're getting it as steel. And the minute they're bought in like that, I mean, think about this. What husband wants to tell his wife, no, we're not going to get that because they need a couple grand more for the house right. than what we thought. Right. You know, every guy <laughs> wants to make his wife happy or, and vice versa. So the minute mm-hmm. they have the emotional buy-in, they're willing to pay a little bit more. So that's nice. what we do. Beautiful. Beautiful. And, so and, anyway, to answer, that's a long answer to your question of of what price range are these houses. But this could be any price range. Mm-hmm. I mean, here we're talking about a hundred and seventy thousand dollar mortgage that she got knocked down to twenty two grand. And uh, you know, we've seen the same thing happen with three hundred thousand dollar houses. But surprisingly, the majority of the houses that we've seen have been in this average price range. And averages, of course, different all over the country. But when I say average, I mean mid hundred thousand dollars, maybe upwards of two hundred thousand dollars houses. Awesome. And you're seeing um, quicker bank. The banks are approving these deals quicker. Um, you're seeing bigger discounts. And uh, it seems like you know, in the market, when everybody's running away from doing short sales, it seems like that's coming. That's all of a sudden now the best time to start doing them. Um, that's it's awesome. Funny, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, and let me go let ahead. me clarify real quick. Not every bank has sped up their process. Some of them are still tougher to work with than others. I mean, there's there's no question that 
and I won't name banks because this changes on a monthly basis, but you know, there's no question that sometimes I'll get a bank. It's just like, come on, guys, serious. How hard is it to either give me an approval or deny my offer? You know, right, right. So there still is some situations like that, but for the most part, I'm seeing, at, at the very least, I'm seeing banks have a strong desire to improve their processes. And the government's even stepping in now and, and uh, nudging the banks to improve their processes also. Yeah. If, they want, if these banks want any government funding like they've been getting, which I think is ridiculous, um, then they are starting to have to adhere to certain guidelines. And those certain guidelines, the margins are getting smaller and smaller of the time frames that the banks have to work with people. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, we know what those rules are, so sometimes we use those rules against the bank. And we let the bank know, hey, we know you only have a day left to respond to this. We need a response right now or else we're going to initiate a lawsuit. And sometimes just a threat like that is enough to get them to respond how we want them to. Very good. <clears throat> Sean, if you could now talk a little bit about um, life in there. Talk a little bit about how um, you don't have to share numbers, but you were in a tremendous amount of debt. And over the next several years, you almost completely eliminated that. Um, and you don't need to make $34,000 a month to survive anymore. Talk a little bit about your process, and I, and I, I like this is how re life in there really has revolutionized my own life, um, and and I'll just share this real quick because um, what Sean and Steve Cook has taught me to do is design. Most of us design our business first, and we look at okay, in a calendar you figure I'm going to be working these number of hours, and you put it on your on your plan, and then you fit your life around that. Okay. Uh, for, for me, it was completely revolutionary when I decided, you know what, I'm going to design the life that I want to have first and then design my business to fit around that. And, um, you know, I still work 40 hours a week, but I love what I do. I'm able to take mornings off, lunches off, take three, four-week vacations, you know, or do my work from other parts of the country as we're taking vacations. But I had to figure out what was most important for me. And I had to figure out, well, if this stuff is more important. Why am I not dedicating my time and energy to this stuff? Um, yeah. So, Sean, you, you kind of evolved into that, too, um, several years ago. You designed – talk about what is your vision, and then how did you change your business to come more in line with your vision? Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty loaded question. I'll try to summarize it in a way that makes most sense the quickest. Basically, in a nutshell, we ask people first and foremost, before you start, and when we start coaching people, the reason that we start coaching people is they come to us and they say, Sean and Steve, show me how to make more money. And usually my first response is, okay, let's, let's first take a look at, if you don't feel like you have enough money, let's take a look at what you're making now and where you've mismanaged it because most of the time it's not that people don't make enough money it's that they've mismanaged or, or not been uh, a good steward with what they've been given already myself included yeah. so the first thing we do is we say okay let's set money to the side for just a second i know that's the topic that you want to talk about but tell me real quick what do you want life to look like and they all look at me with this blank stare like i have no idea what you're talking about I say, here's what we need to do. We need to start out by coming up with your life and air vision. And basically, in a nutshell, I'm just asking you, how do you want life to look? And I'll give you a couple examples of what I'm asking uh, for you to think about. I'm saying, if family could look any way you wanted it to look, how would it look? What would you do with your family? How much time would you spend with them? And I mean, get specific, because I have a three-year-old son at home, uh, and I also have a four-month-old daughter at home. And... I love my kids so much, 
And that being said, I want to spend a lot of time with them. But I also don't want to spend 24 hours of every day of my life with them either because I think I might go crazy. Mm-hmm. There's other stuff that I want to accomplish and experience and things like that as well. But I've never had anybody really ask me, okay, define how much time you want to spend with your kids. And then when you do spend time with them, what would you like to actually be spending time doing? So that's what I'm starting to ask and say, and with family, what do you want family to look like with your relationship with your creator? You know, for me, uh, God needs to come first, but oftentimes God gets put last because all this other stuff sort of starts to take over. Mm-hmm. And so I have to start to identify what is it that I want that relationship to look like? If I could have the ultimate faith, what would that look like? Um, so family, friends, health is another thing. You know, health can oftentimes be put on the back burner when I've got too many appointments going on or whatever that looks like. And so I have to start asking myself, what do I want these areas of my life to look like? Even when it comes down to fun. You know, I realized that when I started to have kids, I wasn't spending any time playing my guitar because that sort of got put on the back burner for a little while. But I didn't want it to look like that. That's just kind of how it morphed into. But I want you to start to identify that up front. What would you want life to look like? And forget about filtering life with what you've already got to deal with on a daily basis. I'm asking you to say the sky's the limit if it could look any way you want in some of these categories. And we give you 11 categories to start out with. What would life look like? Mm-hmm. Then when you started to figure this out, then we take and we, we start to quantify these things and say, okay, what would it take to start living like this today? And the exercise that you were just referring to is we usually have people take all of the aspects of their vision and start assigning it to a calendar as though you were living it today. So we'll take out a weekly calendar, for example, and I know that one of my favorite things to do in the world is my, one of my favorite things to do is get up in the morning, and I love to cook my son breakfast. So I'll start to mark off, uh, you know, every morning from 7.30 to, like, 8.30 because, you know, breakfast never takes 10 minutes with my three-year-old son. <laughs> I start to schedule off that hour. That's breakfast time but with me and my son. And so if I start to, you know, mark that part out of the calendar, I know that every morning that's probably what I'm going to do. And this doesn't have to be exact. It's just giving me an idea of how much time it would take if I were living my vision today. I can do the same thing with, you know, Wednesday nights is my band practice night, you know. I love to do that on Wednesday night. It breaks up the week for me. It's just so much fun. I get together with I got some guy time together, you know. Mm-hmm. And, of course, then I need time with my wife, too. So what does that look like? Well, for us, you know, Friday night is date night. We love to go out and have dinner. No kids, none of that stuff. We love to just go out, maybe go to a comedy show, something like that. Um, I know Sundays are going to be just family time. So I start marking that out, right? And I start to do all this with all my aspects of my vision. You know, if I want to learn how to fly an airplane, for example, that needs to get put in there somehow. And what you learn, and keep in mind, I've started the vision out with everything but business so far. I haven't even asked you to put business on the calendar. Yeah. Because what we're going to do is we're going to start filling up the calendar with life. And then whatever time is left, once we're finished with this exercise, whatever time is left over, that's what time left we have to run our business. Mm-hmm. And the challenge is, is that most people do it the other way around. They say they start out by saying, I'm going to schedule 40 hours a week for my business. But then if something else comes up, they'll always work more and they'll sacrifice the rest of their vision for business. Right. The problem with that is so far I've done this exercise with I don't even know how many people, tons of people. I've never met anybody so far that could live their entire vision and also have more than about 30 hours a week left over. 
which is shocking because we think, you know, 40 hours a week has been ingrained in our brain. That's what we should work. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, I felt guilty about working less for a long time. I still do to some degree sometimes. But I also know that if I'm living my vision, I can't live my vision and run my business 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week like I was doing before. If I do that, I'm going to start sacrificing areas of my vision. And then I had to start thinking, okay, which of these areas of my vision aren't that important to me because I'm going to have to let go of some of them somewhere. Is it time with my kids? Is it the relationship with my wife? Is it my health? Something's got to go. So which one of these things is less important to me than business? Now, we do a second thing, too. Once we have all those things on our calendar, we can also look at all those things. We say each of these aspects of our vision cost us usually two things. They cost us time because each aspect of our vision is going to take some time. If I want a relationship with my son, obviously that's not something I could just throw money at. It's going to take some time, right? Mm -hmm. But also some of the activities that I may want to do with my son, they may cost a little bit of money. It may be a dollar or it may be if it's a vacation that I want to go on, a two-week vacation, that's going to cost some money. So now I start to take each thing in my vision and say, okay, how much money is it going to take to live out these aspects of vision also? And now I know two things. Once I add all those up, I know that I have this vision over here that is going to take X amount of time per week, and it's going to cost this much amount of money per month. And I know now that I have to go create a business that supports these things. Mm -hmm. So now I know I've got to make X amount of dollars in my business that, and I can only work in my business 20 hours a week. So I better start to develop a business plan now that feeds this rather than takes away from it. So this is the exact opposite of what most people do. Right. But this is the way that works. Excellent. And I'll tell you, as a result of this, doing business this way has forced me to completely change how I look at business. Because now I may see something that's a really good business idea that can make a lot of money. But when I look at the time commitment for it, or maybe it doesn't match in, you know, maybe if it requires me to work on Friday nights, you know, Friday night date night with the wife. Am I really going to tell my wife that, you know, going out and doing this business idea is more important than my time alone with her? Mm-hmm. And even if I don't have to answer to my wife about it, I have to answer to myself. And I have to say, is that more important to me than what I already had in my vision? And it just forces you to look at things in a whole new light. So talk a little bit about the changes you made, if you don't mind, in, in your personal life to get to where you are in your vision now. Well, perfect example. Uh, when I started doing this vision stuff, I realized that I owned a brokerage that there was nothing about the brokerage that fit into my vision. The only thing that fit into my vision about the brokerage was the fact that I really enjoyed teaching. I had 16 real estate agents working out of my real estate brokerage, and uh, the brokerage you know, it took me a while to build it up to that, and it was actually making money. And so I really struggled with, you know, the, the brokerage does not fit my vision, yet it's making money. It's paying some of the bills. I've got this huge stack of bills i got to pay every month, and I can't just get rid of the brokerage because it's already making money. I thought, well, what am I going to do here? And uh, and I had to think long and hard about it. Now, this is where I started saying, okay, if it, something doesn't fit your vision right now, that doesn't mean you can just get rid of it right this second. You've got to start to come up with a game plan on how you're going to get rid of it. But for the brokerage, I started thinking, man, I've got these 16 people. They're roughly, each of them were paying me, I think it was uh, $75 a month to hold their license at my brokerage. 
And then I was also getting uh, 30% of their commissions anytime they sold a deal. And so I started looking at that, and I thought, well, that's bringing me in about $1,300 a month, which is helping pay for my overhead to have this office. And I thought, well, and then when somebody does do a deal with me, I get 30% of that. But I started looking at the numbers and the amount of time I was putting into it. And I realized, first of all, I have a bunch of investors in my brokerage. None of them are closing deals as real estate agents, so I'm not getting any commissions anyway. What I'm really getting is 1300 bucks a month. Yeah. And then I started looking at, okay, what does it take for me to do this, and do I enjoy doing it at all? I thought, no. Owning a real estate brokerage is so much responsibility. It's like 90% paperwork. Every time an investor agent in my office does a deal, I have to look through every bit of paperwork that they've done, everything they've submitted to a bank. I have to make sure every T is crossed, every I is dotted. I hate that part of the business. I can't stand it. And I'm sitting here looking at that. Am I willing to trade that for 1300 bucks a month? And I thought, no. But yet I can't give up 1300 bucks a month. What am I doing here? I can't. I've got this 35 grand a month I'm trying to get down. I can't just get rid of something right away. So I was really at a struggle. Mm-hmm. But then I started to think differently. I said, okay, here's what I've got right now. It doesn't fit into my vision. Is there a way that I can make what I've got either fit into my vision or get rid of it while still attaining some other aspects of my vision and not taking away from the finances of it. And I thought, well, there was one guy in my office that really wanted to open a brokerage someday. And I thought, well, I wonder if he would be interested in buying this brokerage and taking it over. And so I sat down and I talked with him about it. And uh, But again, remember, one of the things that I really did get out of my brokerage is I really enjoyed the the coaching aspect of it. We would have two meetings per month in my office There'd be all 16 people there plus myself and my assistant and my negotiator. And I felt like the more I coached them, the more I learned because they would share with me. I'd share back, and I really didn't want to get rid of that aspect of it. But yet the rest of the responsibility of it was terrible. So I spoke with one of the agents, and he said, yeah. He said, man, I would love to buy it. He said, matter of fact, if you can figure out a way to owner finance it to me, I'm, I'm happy to pay you for it. So we worked out a deal where he bought the brokerage from me. I think he bought it for $1,000 a month. Remember, it was bringing in $1,300 a month. And so it was instantly cash flowing him $300 a month. I was losing $300 per month, but now I don't have any responsibility of the brokerage. Nice. That was item number one. The second part to that is now that I don't have the brokerage, it's not a requirement for me to have my office anymore. I don't have to have that. That, I, I got rid of my office. That saved me $4,000 a month. Wow. So I'm now getting 1000 a month instead of 1300 but I don't have any responsibilities. And I get that for the next year. And granted, that did have a shelf life to it. It was going to end at some point. But I also got rid of the brokerage, which saved me four grand a month. Then the third thing I did was I went to all of the agents in the office and I said, listen, I said, guys and girls, I said, I love you guys so much. I love being a part of your businesses. I love sharing this with you. But I also said, listen, I can't continue to work this brokerage. I'm selling the the brokerage off to this gentleman here that's one of our agents. And I said, if you'd like to go forward, we can still do uh, business together. I can still continue to coach you. But the fee is not going to be $75 a month anymore. If you want to keep your license and stay with this brokerage, then this gentleman is going to take it over. It's still going to be $75 per month, 
and if you want me to coach you, it's going to be three ninety five per month now, and which is a pretty ballsy move, you know. Great. <laughs> they go from paying seventy five a month to now they get the exact same thing that they've been getting, and I'm going to charge them another four hundred dollars a month. And check this out. Of those sixteen people, thirteen of them saw the value so much in the coaching that they said, "Yeah, we want nice. to keep our license with the new guy, and we'll continue paying you four hundred dollars a month." So now. Wow. That one decision, it changed my cash flow. Remember, I'm getting a thousand a month now instead of thirteen hundred, so I lost a little bit there, but I saved four grand a month, and then I made an additional, what is it, thirteen times four hundred? I don't even know what that comes out to. Forty, forty-five hundred, forty-six hundred bucks a month, something like that. Five grand. Yeah. I don't know. Four or five grand. The, the point is that is one decision that came as a result of staying true to my vision, and it changed my cash flow almost nine grand a month. Nice. Wow. Now, check this out. I did something in addition to that. I said, okay, for those of you guys that want to stay in coaching and, and really want some extra hand-holding, I'll physically work these deals with you. In other words, you go out and you find the leads, and I'll work the short sales with you, and we'll split them, and we'll do that for your first three deals. And, uh, and because of that and because I started going after realtors, two things I changed in my yeah. marketing – I stopped all my other marketing that I was paying. Remember how much I said I was paying for marketing before? Four, Four or five, five grand, grand a yeah. month. Yeah. Now I started using partnerships, and I eliminated another five grand a month. So, and these are just a couple. These are a couple of the big things. But I also did some really small things, like my cable bill at home. <laughs> I drastically reduced that, and it's hard to look at things like that where you can save. 15, 20 bucks a month when you're dealing with this $34,000 a month you're trying to reduce. But every little tiny thing added up to bigger things. Mm -hmm. And it added up and added up and added up. And next thing you know, my expenses are next to nothing now. Awesome. Now if I make, if I close a deal, I'm set for six months. It's not a big deal. Whereas if before, if I closed a $100,000 deal, it would last me three months. Beautiful. Now I don't have to work anywhere near as much. And here's what that does differently for you. And, and by the way, all of this starts with a vision. All of it starts with a vision. Mm -hmm. But most people aren't willing to put in the time it takes to answer some of these questions because they're not easy questions to answer. Yeah. But now, um, all of that came from having a vision. So, uh, when I started the process, it looked like this huge mountain that I had to get over, and it was a huge mountain. Don't don't get me wrong, but when I started taking one little bite at a time, here we are. Fast forward to just a few years later, and I mean, life is just so much easier. When we speak uh, in front of an audience, I usually ask people, "How many of you in here feel like?" Um, well, let me ask you this: How many of you would be happy if at the end of this month? I just cut you a check for five grand, and you can blow it on anything you want to blow it on. I mean, that doesn't go towards bill. That doesn't go towards anything. Five grand, you can blow it on anything you want. Oh, and by the way, next month I'm going to give you five grand again, and you can blow it on anything you want, mm -hmm. anything, any personal thing, vacation, whatever you want, you know, more guitars, whatever you want. And then next month I'm going to do it again, and next month I'm going to do it again. Every month from here on out, you're going to get five grand a month, and you can blow it on anything you want. How many of you feel like you can live a pretty darn good life if I did that every month? And, you know, almost everyone in the room always raises their hand, 99% of people. Yeah. And then I usually say, do you guys just realize that you just told me if you made 60 grand a year and were debt-free, you could be completely happy? Mm -hmm. That's a great, great 
point? Great question. So we, so we really encourage people to be debt-free mm-hmm. and to keep your – now, I realize there's things like insurance and taxes and things like that too. So some people go, well, there's a flaw in your plan. I get that. My point is when you have no debt to service and your needs are very simple, you don't need to make a whole lot. I told you guys earlier that any real estate a, uh, real estate investor with half a brain can make a hundred grand a year. That means you could have all of your vision – very, very mm-hmm. easily. And, and by the way, I have one of the most expensive visions. Once I've gone through this process with everybody, when I realize what's truly important to me, I have one of the most expensive visions of anyone I know because I'm really into music recording and uh, some of my hobbies are expensive, flying, things like that. But even my vision with some really extravagant things in it is not more than ten grand a month. And, you know, you could do, that, you could do one deal every couple months, couldn't you? Sure. In, and, and the if great your expenses are low. If your expenses are low, right. I mean, and, and uh, Steve Cook has a similar story that's just incredible. And uh, you, you could do those kinds of deals in your sleep. Um, but th- that's, the just, that, that's the path I'm on also right now. I'm not there yet. But um, really, if you look at it, if you had zero debt, no house payment, no car payment, no student loans, no investment properties, um, you could live very, very comfortably on five to ten grand a month, you could live probably just as nice, have just as much happiness and fulfillment as somebody who's making a million dollars a year. Um, and that's just the great thing about it. you don't have to. You know, retirement is important. You need to worry about that. But I mean, can you imagine uh, if you're doing if you're doing a few deals, you're covering your expenses, and you get the big home runs, you get the big profit deals, and you use that to. We haven't even we talked a little bit with Steve Cook about the four stages. Sean, but can yeah. you imagine taking the extra profits you have on the deals after your uh, expenses are paid, setting that aside, and then buying thirty, forty thousand dollar rental properties with that with cash that are giving you eight hundred, nine hundred dollars a month in, in gross uh, rents? You know, all of a sudden now you could have ten properties that are giving you maybe five hundred dollars a month net cash flow that are paying all your bills. And you do have to manage those properties, you know. But that's just the great thing about this business and the freedom that it gives you. That's um, that's awesome stuff. Really, really well, good. and here's the thing. I mean, it, it all boils down to what is it that you want. I mean, the fact of the matter is, for everybody listening to this right now, I want you to just think if a magic fairy came and paid off all your debt, and it, even the house that you lived in, imagine that that was free and clear for a second. I mean, think about it. What kind of bills do you have left? You're going to have to pay some income taxes on whatever you make. You've got maybe some life and health insurance. Um, you've got some uh, groceries. utilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, groceries, stuff like that. But life is simple. I mean, I've got one student. Well, let me give you two examples. I've got two students. I've got one guy who makes five hundred grand a year. Uh, he's the guy I mentioned earlier. He's made five hundred grand a year pretty consistently for the past three, four, or five years. I've got another guy uh, that only makes somewhere in the neighborhood of about 50 grand a year. And based on just that, I usually ask people, who do you think is more successful or who, who do you think has a better life? And almost everybody says the guy with a half a million dollars a year. And I say, okay, what if I told you that the guy with, that makes a half a million dollars a year, his expenses are about 600,000 a year. And the guy who makes 50 grand a year 
can feed his entire family of four and cover all his expenses on $2,300 a month. And that includes private school for his kids, by the way. Nice. That's every expense he has. Now, that doesn't mean that he can't go out and make more. He can make whatever he wants to make. The point is his needs are very, very simple. Mm -hmm. And so now when he closes a deal, this is a guy, it took him a little while to get started in, in uh, real estate investing, but when he did, he made about 30 grand on his first deal. That 30 grand just covered his whole expenses for his family for like 14 months. Yeah. I mean, that is, the guy's set for 14 months. Now, that doesn't mean that he, he's not going to make money again in 14 months. He can go out and make another deal two weeks from now or a month or two months from now or whatever he wants. The point is he doesn't have to if he doesn't want to. And I'll tell you, something happens to your brain yeah. <laughs> when you don't have to do it. It frees you up to make better decisions. You start going after better deals. Everything just seems to work better. I don't know about you, but I've been in a situation a number of times in my life where my back was against a corner and I had to make a certain amount of money, like when I had those big expenses. And I would start to go after smaller deals yeah. because I thought, well, I got to get to that 34000 I'm okay with just making four grand on this one. The problem is the one that making four grand takes just as long mm -hmm. as the one that I did that made a hundred grand. It's the same amount of time. It's yeah. no difference. It's no harder to make a hundred than it is to make four. But I would go after the one for four because I had to have it. Now I don't have to have it. So if I want to sit back and hold out until a better deal comes along, it's not that big of a deal. Nice. Matter of fact, now Steve and I have both designed our business to where our needs are so simple that if we didn't have any other investments or anything, we could work six days a month, and that's all we would need to do. Now, I work more than six days a month right now for a couple of reasons. Number one, I enjoy it. Uh, and number two, I still have some of my debt I'm still getting rid of. I, I started with $1.1 in debt. That's almost gone now. Wow. Um, thank God. But every month that goes down, it gets easier and easier because my expenses of maintaining that debt goes down, down, down as well. Nice. And, Did that uh, it include just gets, your house? Uh, yeah. Matter of fact, most people think I'm nuts right now. I don't even own a house. I sold my house. I'm renting right now. Yeah. Yeah. Even with homeownership. I mean, lots of people think I want to own a home and owning a home is more than just people think, well, I'm going to spend 1500 a month in rent. Why would I do that when I can just buy a home for 1500 Well, homeownership comes with additional responsibilities. If anything, if just the furnace goes out, I mean, there's an expense. But here's what happens with a homeownership, too. Again, the gentleman with the $500,000 a year coming in, he's got an $800,000 house he makes payments on. And he said, I don't want to sell the house. He said, I can afford the house with what I'm making. And I said, I know you can afford it. But he's thinking, well, my payment on that's only four grand a month. And I'm thinking, well, wait a second. You spend more than four grand a month. I said, do you do you cut your own grass? And he goes, no. I said, well, tell me about your yard. He says, my yard's beautiful. It sits on three acres. And I said, how much does it cost to have them cut it every week? He says, well, that's like seventy-five bucks a week. I said, okay. How big is your house? He's like, well, it's about sixty-five hundred square feet. I said, okay. How much does it cost to uh, to have the electricity on in the summer? The guy lives in Florida. It gets pretty hot down there. I said, how much is your electric bill? Uh, I don't really want to talk about it. Yeah. I said, how much is it? It's like six, $700 a month. I said, okay. Uh, I said, how much is, I said, you got a pool, right? And he goes, yeah. And I said, do you get the pool opened and closed every year? And he goes, no, I have a pool man. I said, okay. Uh, I said, is there any maintenance that needs to be done on your house? And he goes, yeah, man, there's a whole section out in the back where 
I've got these big pillars, and he says the pillars need to be scraped, and they need to be sanded down, and they need to be painted and stuff like that. He goes, i got a lot of stuff like that that I do on a regular basis. And I said, okay. I said, would you care about any of that if the house wasn't yours if you were renting it? And then he goes, no. And I said, first of all, how many people live in the house? And he said, me and my wife. And I said, really, you and your wife need 6,500 square feet? And I said, okay, I get that you want nice stuff, but how, how many rooms in the house do you use on a regular basis? He said, well, we use the living room. I've got a theater that we watch TV in and our bedroom and a kitchen. And that's about it. I said, how much square footage is that? He said, that's probably 1,500 of it, maybe 1,800 of it. I said, so you got another 4,000, 4,500 square foot of house that you're paying to have heated and cooled and maintained and all this other stuff. You don't even use it. I said, but you're paying for that every month. I said, I want you to understand there's nothing wrong with having that stuff, but I want you to understand what you're trading for it right now. Because every month that you continue to have to make that payment, you're trading a piece of your life for the house. And I want you to, I want you to ask yourself, because there's a lot of things that he had, that he wants in life that he's not able to spend time doing right now because he's so busy feeding this huge animal. And I said, I just want to ask you, what's more important? These things that you've said are important to you in your vision or this house? Because it's going to be a whole lot easier to get to these things in your vision if there's no house there, if you were just renting a house. So even though that goes against everything that we've been taught, especially as Americans, where we have this right to ownership of a home, you know, I'm all for that if you can afford it. He clearly cannot afford it, which is why he went out to get the loan to pay for it in the first place. And again, we're using an example of an $800,000 house here, but it can be the same with a $50,000 or $100,000 house. And so, you know, the reason that I rent right now is for a couple reasons. Number one, I feel like the market is going to continue to go down. Mm -hmm. And number two, until I'm completely debt-free, which I'm not quite there yet, Steve, Steve is as of last year. He got rid of four and a half million dollars in debt Amazing. and that was my inspiration to get rid of my little measly 1.1 million but uh, until I am and again life is simpler and simpler and simpler uh, mm -hmm. and until I can afford to go ahead and pay cash for a house then I'll continue to rent and I'll tell you what I got a better deal renting right now than I could have ever gotten by owning a house I, I rent this absolutely beautiful four bedroom two and a half bath I'm sorry three yeah, two and a half bath house. It's 2,500 square feet. It's nicer than, I mean, it's a gorgeous house. I rent this thing for $1,000 a month. I couldn't even buy that for less <laughs> than 2,500. Now, I know the general area. I've never been to your house, your new one, but I know the general area that you're in. Was this a motivated seller you negotiated something with? Or? Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. And the point is, now, here's the thing, too. I never would have even thought of that as a possibility until my vision was clear. When the vision's clear, and part of the vision was to keep my needs very, very simple, all of a sudden, solutions started coming to my brain that they just would not have come to me until I started having a vision. And now, I look at things differently. I ask myself different questions. You know, how can I have a nice house and also maintain my vision and then different solutions start to provide themselves. So, you know, this is a process. If all of this isn't making sense to you right now, I don't expect all of it to, uh, it will make more sense as your vision becomes clear. But that's the step one. You've got to start asking yourself, what do I want out of life? And either things that you're pursuing fit into your vision or they don't. And when you introduce something new to the vision, Something else is going to get taken away. So you got to ask yourself what's most important to you. Excellent. And when you do that, your business starts to work out much better.
This has been really, really good. Really, really good. Guys, if you haven't already, uh, go to Sean's website, lifeinair.com. It's www.lifeon, life on, A-I-R-E, life on air, like millionaire but with a life. And uh, Sean's other website, if you're interested in short sales, uh, shortsalewealth.com. Right, Sean? You got it. Shortsalewealth.com. Yeah. Guys, I know uh, Sean's the real deal. Um, you see us or you hear us on this podcast interview and you think, okay, you know, does Sean really, is he full of it or is this really kind of what he's doing? And, uh, I, you know, I'm very skeptical myself, um, but I know Sean personally and I've known him for years and I know his wife, I know his kids, and uh, he's just a great stand-up guy. And uh, I I wholeheartedly 100% recommend um Sean, I recommend Life and Nary take a look. I'm a I'm a member of the uh, coaching program, the Titanium Group, and um, it's just a great, fantastic. Group. I think I've been in it now almost two or three years. Sean, I forget. Yeah, uh, I was the first wow, yeah. one of the first ones in the group. Um, we do retreats twice a year. Um, we do monthly coaching calls. Uh, we have an active uh, online uh, support community, and uh, I'm just some of my best friends are in the. Uh, life and air group it's just been excellent but um any parting words alex or sean anything you want to say i'm fully uh fully impressed i'm i i'm all with that vision um you know a lot of us see a lot of other investor gurus and stuff flashing all their cars and their money and their fistfuls of cash and their big houses but I mean, it's uh, the more stuff you accumulate, the more money you need to accumulate to keep it going. So you keep putting stress on yourself and stress on yourself and stress on yourself. I mean, I'm all about um, living uh, a life that you can control a lot easier. I mean, yeah, you can still make all the money that you want, but you'll enjoy it a lot more if you are uh, debt free, 100 percent. There's. I mean, there's a uh, guy by the name of uh, Dave Ramsey. I'm sure you've all heard of him. He says, yeah. "Live one, yeah. live like no one else now, so that later you can live like no one else." <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. fantastic. Yep. And by the way, yep. if anybody, I'll tell you this uh, uh, real quick. I'll tell you, um, I and I hate to say this because it is going to make it sound like I'm downgrading some gurus, which I guess I kind of am. But uh, I know a lot of the gurus personally now. I've had a chance to speak on stage with many of them. And I'll tell you, uh, many of them, if you knew what their life was really like, you wouldn't want any part of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, there, and don't get me wrong. There are some out, of there, out there that are very good and that, that you know, are, are doing things the right way. But they're fewer and farther between than the ones who appear to have it all. And I'm telling you right now, if you knew what their life was like, you wouldn't want any part of it. Yeah. Most of the most of them out there are workaholics. They work more than anybody you could possibly know. Uh, they make lots and lots of money, and they hate life. And now again, I I, I tread some thin water here, uh, or tread on thin ice because I don't want to paint the impression that money is a bad thing. It is a great thing when used for the right reasons and when you're not pursuing only it at the expense of other aspects of your life. Uh, money can do things for you that without it you couldn't have otherwise done. So I am a huge, I say make as much as you possibly can, but don't make as much as you possibly can because you have to have that much every single month. Make as much as you possibly can because of what your intent is to do with it. And when your motives are in the right place, that's a whole different experience. I've experienced both sides of it. Um, nice. So I'll leave it at that. 
Well, like like you said, you know, when you're when your back is against the wall, you're more likely to do a deal that you should not have done or may even be a little ethically not so clear because you need that money and you're yep. you're you know, you're on the spot where you may be like, Well, I know I probably shouldn't do this. Everybody does it every day, but you know, and you could end yourself up in big trouble. Yeah. I spoke with uh, uh, one of these gurus, like you mentioned, recently. This guy made more than $900,000 in 90 minutes and went up to his hotel room and cried. He said he wanted to kill himself after that. He was hating life so badly. And we all think that money wow. is the answer and that with more money becomes less problems. But the truth is, uh, more money just means that we get to show up to our problems in style. <laughs> you know, the problems are wow. still there. They don't make the problems go away. If anything, the accumulation of more money comes with a little bit more responsibility. We all think that it's easier to manage more money, but managing more of anything is usually a little bit more work. So we just have to respect that and um, and understand it. Not to say some of some people hear me say that and they go, "What kind of fool would be miserable after he just made almost a million dollars in 90 minutes?" Listen, ev it's everything in context again. Yeah. The uh, a lot of the right thing used in the wrong way can mean a lot of bad things too. So we try to teach to uh, to use it for the right reasons and make sure your motives are clear. So important. So important. Well, hey, thank you, Sean. Uh, again, guys, if you want to go to his website, you can go to realestateinvestingmastery.com and you'll see in the show notes uh, links to Sean's stuff. But you can also go directly to www.lifeonair.com, uh, lifeonair.com, or shortsalewealth.com. Cool. Hey, thank you again, Sean. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have Thanks, Alex. Day, man. All right. We'll talk to you guys Thanks, soon. Thanks, Sean.